We all know how critical it is to support new teachers, but do we actually know how to support them? Today, we answer four questions. What do we mean when we say new teacher? How can APs build collaborative relationships with those new teachers? What specific actions can we take to meet the personal and professional needs of our early career teachers? And how do we fit those actions into the crazy time schedule of the assistant principalship? Between this podcast and our new micro journal, Quadrant 2, we've been investing a lot of time looking at issues with early career teachers. And today we're going to get an extra layer of help and dive deeper into this issue with our special guest, John Shambari. Did I say that right? You did, Frederick. Thank you, but please call me John. Okay. So hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to improve life and leadership for assistant principals. And today I'm joined by John Shambari, the educate, a senior educational consultant. And John is here with us today to help us understand how to better support new teachers. Hello, John. Hi, Frederick. How are you? I'm good. Hey, can you tell us briefly how you got to where you are today? Sure. So it's a little bit of a circular route uh, for me going into teaching. So when I was younger, I thought I wanted to go into government, particularly the Foreign Service. So I went, I got my master's degree in international relations. And when there, I actually had the opportunity to meet a friend who had taught English in Japan for a couple of years. And I thought that that had sounded interesting, uh, but I kind of put it on the side because I was really thinking about, you know, doing government work. And then after I graduated, I ended up working in nonprofit think tanks in Washington, D.C. that had a focus on international relations still. But because of perhaps my youth, the organizations that I worked with, particularly the American Society of International Law, really had me working with our interns. And I really found that I enjoyed working with students. Most of those were graduate students, some of them were undergraduates, but still I really enjoyed that. And then at night to give back to the community, I was also teaching ESL or English as a secondary language in community college. So all of that teaching experience or shall we say interest in education kind of culminated where I said, you know, I I like international relations, but I'm really finding myself coming alive when it comes to teaching and training. And so I remembered my friend had taught on the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program, the JET program. I said, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. So I ended up doing that for two years. And again, really enjoyed it, enjoyed working in a Japanese middle school with the English teachers. And when I came back, I I bit the bullet. I went for my teaching certificate and I made a career switch into teaching. So that's how I became an educator. And then, Frederick, what happened was I had an opportunity to teach in a magnet high school program. So I was the founding law teacher in the Morris County, New Jersey Academy for Law and Public Safety, which was a program run by the the Votech School District. And, you know, being the first one to do that, I was ending up doing a lot of admin work and people suggested to me, well, you know, you should go get your supervisor license. You should go get your principal license. 
So did that. And then from there, I ended up being an administrator in the New Jersey correctional system and then back into the traditional public school system as the founding principal in Newark, New Jersey, and as a director of curriculum for a district. So that is my circular route, if you will, for getting into teaching and then also getting into leadership. Well, listeners that know me, like I know that I like interesting guests. And so already, I think they have a, a hint of why I invited <laughs> you onto the podcast. Um, but I, I think it, I'll just highlight a couple of those things. You know, you're really active in LinkedIn. And I really like how you ask questions to engage people in discussions about real educational things. So, you know, that's kind of where I discovered you um, and appreciate what you're doing there. I think it's important. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And and you have that wide variety of experiences, right, um, that let you take all of these different perspectives. And I think that's something that's really important um, to our listeners. And then finally, just your passion and the way that comes that comes out. And I know I looked at some of your recommendations and, and one of the things that really stood out was how you, when you do workshops with teachers, how you really connect with teachers and kind of invite them into the space. It's not going in and just lecturing to people. So I thought that was really cool. I said, okay, we have to have John on the on the podcast. Um, before we go any further, I always like to start with celebrations. So what are you celebrating today? So, well, besides speaking with you and, and your listeners, because I always enjoy speaking on podcasts and I really look forward to diving deep into talking about new teachers because we can't have teachers if our new teachers keep leaving, which seems to be the common trend right now. So that's concerning. So really happy to actually bring it back to the positive. Really happy to be talking to you today. I think that's a celebration. And getting really excited to go back into schools, as you and I have talked off camera about, I am an educational consultant working across different school communities. So I'm getting excited that the, excited that the school year is starting up again and I can do my work with folks. Yeah. And I think that's my celebration too. It seemed like a lot of the summer work that I was doing was kind of drudge stuff. That's not my favorite. And now to be back working with assistant principals and principals and leadership teams, I'm so happy. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love social media and thank you for mentioning that you found me there because sometimes you never know who is actually engaging with your content. So I enjoy that. And I, Enjoy trying to elevate LinkedIn, especially in the comments to post beyond just yes, no, good job. But like you were saying, really asking important questions about where we are in education. But still, there's nothing for me anyway. I'm, I'm definitely an extrovert. There's nothing like that direct connection with folks in their buildings, doing the day-to-day -day work. And, uh, and I'm also so glad that we're moving beyond the pandemic now as well. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> okay. So we're going to cover, I guess, three kind of real themes that we'll dig into. What do we mean when we say new teacher? How do APs build relationships with those new teachers? And then kind of what are the specific things that APs can do given their times constraints to support those teachers? So let's go ahead and get started. And I, I want to frame this up um, for listeners and you think there's this really challenging intersection right now. We have kids that have 
higher needs than they've ever had coming out of the pandemic. We have um, the the mental health issues coming with that, and then also you know the academic issues. At the same time, we have teachers that we have a, many more teachers coming in from alternative licensure programs where they just don't have the foundation and the range of experience coming in. And even teachers coming from traditional preparation programs, they've they've been shortchanged the last couple of years as Amen. well. Yeah. So we've and and the thing that I've I've had to realize is our teachers aren't coming in with the same level of preparation that I could, that I did. And we can't assume that teachers are ready to go. In fact, I think we have to assume they're not. And then the other thing that's happening is just the politics and the stressors on the system. Um, so it's a really tough time. And I think it's an opportunity, though, to rethink what does it mean to be a new teacher? And then from a systems perspective, how do we do it? Because the one year, here's your mentor, is not going to cut it anymore. So, exactly. yeah. So when we talk about new teachers, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So, Frederick, I think. You said a lot in what you just said, particularly what really resonated with me was when you were talking about even teachers that have gone through a teacher preparation program. And you phrased it more in the sense of these preparation programs, perhaps not preparing teachers for the new reality of post-pandemic education. And that's definitely true. But I would almost argue that anybody coming through a traditional education program is still a new teacher and, and might not know what they don't know, particularly because often, I mean, sometimes te student teachers know where they're gonna end up working because maybe they're doing an apprenticeship or perhaps their student teaching assignment has hired them full time. But a lot of times teachers, even those who have gone through a traditional training program or undergraduate or graduate teaching certification program, don't necessarily know what type of community they're going to actually end up going to. So they are very much still new teachers who can benefit from learning about the communities in which they are particularly working. So it's gonna really be important for those new school communities to continue to provide on-the-job training for even those traditional folks whom we've we tend to think, oh, they, they have it made. They, they, they know exactly what they're doing. If they did, I don't think we would have the attrition rate in teaching that we've had for many years, not just post-pandemic. This has been a crisis long in the making. So I would say that even traditional trained educators or student teachers, I would consider them new and in need of training. You mentioned teachers coming in through alternate route programs. I should add, I myself was an alternate route teacher when I made the shift from government work to education. So I, I fully understand from a personal level what that experience is like. And I most certainly would never have survived if I didn't have the mentorship to go along with the work in the, in the middle school where I was working at the time. And it was still tight and it was still a close call for me staying in education because my first year was pretty rough. So they are definitely new teachers, anyone going through an alternate group program. And if we do talk about education post-pandemic, 
we do have to recognize that even those coming in now through alternate route programs do not necessarily have to have the background that people going through alternate route programs had to have prior to the pandemic. I know, for example, in my home state of New Jersey, I'm pretty sure the state department of education just relaxed the requirement to take the praxis, the praxis certifications. And I know you have states or we have states like Arizona, where one just has to have a high school diploma now to work in a school teaching. And I think even it was it New Mexico that's actually bringing in the National Guard to serve as substitutes because the need is, is there. So anyone going through any kind of an alternate group program to me is also a new teacher. And Frederick, lastly, I'd add anyone shifting districts or even shifting schools, because as we were talking about before, the local context is important. Understanding the local school community is important. So even if you've taught for 30 years, while you might not have the needs that truly someone just coming out of university or someone from an alternate route program might have, you still do need time to, to learn the community. And it really is your right, I should say, to get that support from your school administration. So you are successful. That That's a great point. And I forget those people sometimes. I'm guilty. Uh, you know, I know my, my language is really evolved over the last few years. Uh, I coordinated entry year teacher programs for a long time. And that was those, those people that are coming right in their first year and, and doing induction. And then I started to think more about beginning teachers, especially as we saw more and more of a, a crisis of hiring people. And that beginning teacher, I think, you know, one to three years. I really now I'm just focusing on early career teachers and I'm thinking one through five years. And exactly. I, I think that's what we've got to shoot for. You know, if we can support people through and we can get them into that fifth year and build those solid skills, I think we really have to approach it in education that we are on the job training. We're not bringing in finished products. And we always know that, but I think I think we need to be double down on that and and really be mindful about what's what's kind of that five-year process for nurturing and developing and helping our early career teachers. I would totally agree with that. Even in my own coaching work, Frederick, I am, I mean, I've always seen new teachers coming in with life experience, older career changers. That trend is definitely continuing. And they're new teachers just as well as the 21-year-old, you know, student, former student themselves now transitioning into teaching. So you're right. I think we do need to focus on skills and those what skills that one through year five teacher needs regardless of whether or not they're 21 years old or 51 years old i do think there are differences i mean if we could i don't mean to sound stereotypical i mean i do think the advantage say that mid-career changers have is they are professionals they are adults so I think they know better that that difference or that differentiation between them and the students than say a 21 year old coming in to teach seniors in high school. But then the advantage that the younger teachers have 
is I do believe that enthusiasm, that vision to save the world. So if I can capture the professionalism of the older folks or this more seasoned folks, I'll say, and the visioning and the can-do attitude of our millennials and beyond, I would love that. But ultimately, to your point, the base training that both of those groups need of new teachers is that that skill development in terms of what teaching skills you need from years zero to, to five. And then once that's understood whether or not teachers are getting micro-credentialing in each of those areas or to, regardless of what the apprenticeship program is like at the school where the new teacher is working, then I think you could talk about specific generational needs. But I agree with you. I think it's about the teaching skills we need to teach the students that we have sitting in our in our classrooms today. Yeah. I just recorded a podcast episode um, based on some conversations I've been having with a number of different people, really looking at the different kinds of needs of early career teachers. Um, and, and there were three big things that, that keep coming out, and it's no surprise from the literature or experience, but that idea of helping with classroom management, of curriculum support because the curriculum is so broad. So just how do you make it actionable for teachers? And then the other piece is that relationship with school leaders and every piece of research. It's, it is more the relationship with school leaders, which sometimes comes out as culture or the environment, but it's, it's the relationship with leaders more than money and anything else. And, and so that's something I'd like to focus the next part of our conversation on is building those relationships. And I, I used to think that what was really important was a professional relationship, right? And, and I tend to be very task oriented. And as I've grown and matured, I realize you know, there are two parts of the relationship. There's a professional and then there's, there's the social part. And especially our younger teachers, I think, need both. So as administrators, we don't need to be friends, but we need to be social. We need to understand what's happening in that person's life because this pandemic has taught us we all have personal lives and we all have right. stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And that does come in. That's just, that's the reality. Um, so let's start with that when we talk about relationships sure. between teachers and administrators. Sure. So I like how you phrased it where you're not, you don't come in, you, you don't need to be a friend, but you do need to care and understand what the emotional needs of our students are. So before when I said that teachers, you know, do need to understand that line, I was going where you went with that. So even though there is that line in terms of who the teacher is and who the students are, and I guess that in a, in a way is very similar to the way you phrased it, where you know, we're not necessarily meant to be friends, but that doesn't mean it's not or should not be a very important relationship. In fact, it doesn't happen often, Frederick, but I still talk to some of my former students as adults now. Many of them are well along in their careers and have families of their own. So we weren't necessarily friends then, but I did need to establish a relationship with those, with, with my students. And I would say now in some ways we are more friends because we're, you know, on an equal footing, 
but to your point, yes, it is all about relationships and establishing trust with the student. So that way the student knows that they can come to you with issues that they might have. Uh, it is also about meeting where meeting the student where the student is. So we need to train our new teachers. Well, really all of our teachers, but our new teachers, since we're talking about this in giving our students or helping our students have self-agency, providing our students with choice in how they demonstrate proficiency, building in fun, but building in fun with accountability and helping our new teachers, again, really all teachers, but especially new teachers with using data to determine what the needs are of our students. So that way they can design lessons that aren't going to frustrate the students who are below proficiency, nor, you know, bore the, the heck out of, out of students that have already met proficiency. So I think to, you really got to know your students is what I'm saying. And to know your students, you have to have a relationship with them. You can't stay behind your desk, so to speak, at a, at a removed distance. Uh, those relationships with students are important. Now, I know you talked also about relationships with administrators. I think that that's key as well. But I almost put the onus for that, whereas I put the onus for relationships with students on the teacher, I put the onus of starting and developing the relationship with teachers on administration. Absolutely. So you mentioned assistant principals particularly. What are they doing to make themselves visible in their teachers' classrooms? And not just when it comes time to give them a formal evaluation, because we all know that people are going to act and do a certain thing in a certain way when there is high stakes assessment afoot. But how can the assistant principal or principal, if they don't have assistant principals, how can they make themselves visible in those classrooms in a low threatening, low stakes manner where they're engaging with their teachers on a weekly basis about what they observed in terms of that teacher's instruction and some simple hacks that the teacher might add to their practice to, to help their teaching craft. So I think that that is also a very important relationship that needs to be developed. And that is how I would go about doing it. And that's how I would actually coach administrators to go about doing that, really make themselves visible in teachers' classrooms in non-threatening ways. And then lastly, I'd say, I mean, if we're talking within the building itself, then of course you have the relationship with parents and the relationship with community. But the last group to develop or new teachers need to develop relationships with in the building is with other educators. So the more a school has embedded professional learning communities, the more that a school has embedded mentorship, mentorship is really key for your new teachers. I mean, that's why schools have me come in and work with teachers. It's also important for existing teachers as well to, to maybe change up how they do some things. But in addition to mentorship, I, I get concerned when schools say, oh, this new teacher can't handle that yet, 
or this new teacher can't handle that yet because they do need to be working in those PLCs with their collaborative teachers as well. And I think the process of maturation for our new teachers, regardless of you know where they're coming in, if they're first career or change, or change career people, we want them to be participating on those PLCs as well. Maybe they're not taking the lead role, maybe they're not the facilitator of that PLC, but we should be certainly opening up their classrooms as well to walkthroughs and having them visit their peers' classrooms. So to your point about relationships, it's key. If we want our new teachers to get beyond that fifth year and stay in teaching, it is all about those relationships and how those relationships are ultimately supporting students as well as our teachers. Okay, that's awesome. There's a lot to unpack there. And <laughs> listeners, I, I, John and I were talking before we started the the um, show, and I said, "Here's here's a list of questions." But if we hit something rich, you know, we go off the rails. So I think we're going off the rails, John. No worries, Frederick. Um, but take me where you want. Okay, but it's it's all in a in a great direction. So I want to try to pull back and balance these out. So one thing when you talked about relationships, and I was and I was really focused on the admin teacher relationship. And we'll jump back on that. But I think you said something in your, um, you shared something that's that's really gave a visual to me of kind of the square, right? And you've got four sides of that square. So one side of that square is the admin teacher relationship. And another side is the teacher teacher relationships. Indeed. And of course, the teacher kid relationships, and then the teacher community relationships. And I mean, we can put parents probably on community and kids side. So exactly. So we think about building relationships. I tend to talk about and focus a lot on building admission, teacher admin relationships because I think that's that's a weakness. But for admins out there listening, I think if you think about over that one to five years, we need to be helping our teachers develop those relationships on all four sides. But you know, it's interesting, Frederick. It is still, it does still come down to administration supporting teachers in developing all of these relationships. So I even mentioned that it's the administrator's responsibility to do the initial reach out to provide the olive branch, if you will, to teachers in getting teachers to support and to not support, but to trust that administrator. But it is important for the administration to be providing training and support for teachers to learn how best to develop caring, nurturing relationships with students, how best to vest families in the process of their students learning. Because if you're not doing that as an administrator on the school level, how do we expect teachers to do that on the classroom level with any fidelity? It should all roll one into the other. You have the classroom, you have the school level, you have the district level, and then even beyond that. So I think administrators need to practice what they preach. So teachers have models of the ways that they can develop these relationships with the various stakeholders. So I, I don't think we went that off on a tangent because it is still about the administrator really owning that relationship with the teachers. Now, 
at a certain point in time, I think our teachers that do have efficacy and do have more control over what they're doing in the classroom, whether they're seasoned or whether they're new, because that's where it's the fine line between an art and a science. Some people just have the art. Then I do think it's the responsibility of admin, just like it's the responsibility of teachers to provide self-agency and opportunity for students to engage in learning the way they want to engage in it. At a certain point, I think the balance shifts where then admin should be listening to the teacher in terms of where the teacher wants to go in their classroom, what the teacher feels the students need. So that is ultimately, you know, hopefully why schools have PLC processes as well. So again, to your square idea, it all comes down to, to, to leadership and who is the cheerleader in the school for having effective leadership, having effective relationships on all of those levels. I think, I mean, we all have a responsibility, all educators, the teacher, the families, admin, we all have a responsibility to our students to develop those relationships. But ultimately, in my opinion, the buck does stop with admin and it really is admin's role to, to, to be that cheerleader, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that starts to bring us into the how-to, right? Because it's easy to say admin's responsible for those things, which I, I agree with, but how do you do that? And I actually want to give out four examples that I've gotten from assistant principals or principals and things sure. that they've been doing recently. So, you know, you talked about that, that visibility, and this is what I hear in talking to new teachers. They want administrators in their classrooms. When, when I started teaching, if admin, admin was in your classroom, that was a bad thing. Or it was the <laughs> formal evaluation, right? Yeah. You just shut your door and do your thing. But new teachers, thankfully, don't carry that attitude. They want administrators in the classroom. So the best way, the first way to start to build that relationship is just be in the classroom, not, not to evaluate, not to correct, but to be there and be present. And you just investing that time being in the classroom shows that you care and that that exactly. person's priority. So number one, get in the classroom. Um, number two, I think that admin can model those relationships with kids, especially for teachers that may be a little bit intimidated by all these kids in the classroom for the administrator to model how you interact with kids in a way that is friendly and playful, but also appropriate for exactly. you know the station um, is critical. I I have a couple administrators that that when it comes time to make parent phone calls, they pull the teacher, they bring the teacher in, they hand them a script, the the principal or assistant principal will actually make the first phone call and model that conversation. And, and so there's that really tight coaching process and folks, very, very few teachers are coming out of prep programs or any kind of preparation where they've made right. phone calls to parents. Right? right. So if you can sit down as the administrator and, and really teach them, not just say here, but teach them that's so powerful. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot you said there too. I mean, when we talk about being present, you mentioned being in the classroom, I mentioned being in the classroom 
and and being there and not just immediately taking out your your check you know your checklist and do is the teacher doing this or are they not doing that but being present so i am a big fan of kim marshall and when i coach rising leaders even i really recommend that they use his i think the book is called reevaluating supervision and he talks about just really being present in the hallways and listening and just jotting down maybe one or two quick things that you hear or see the teacher doing that you like. And then when you see that teacher next time, you say, hey, you know, I really liked how you did this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that. And that's a great way to actually get a very effective conversation about instruction going. Uh, I recently did Frederick a poll. You talked about LinkedIn. And I had seen it written somewhere, I don't remember where, that the majority of teachers had not had the experience, whether new or existing, of an administrator saying to them, what are you working on this week and can I help you? Mm -hmm. So I did a very quick LinkedIn poll and I understand it's not scientific in any way, shape, or form. But I believe I had about 100 people respond. I can't remember exactly. And over 90%, the majority of, whom, of the people who responded were teachers, had a similar experience. That's wrong. That's just wrong on so many levels. I understand our administrators are bogged down by paperwork. They're bogged down by politics. But that... That perhaps is a conversation for another pop podcast as to why administrators are not getting into the classroom as much as they should. So we can maybe perhaps table that conversation for a later podcast. But for now, I think what should be resonating, hopefully, with the po folks that listen to your podcast is the need for administration to be getting into classrooms and having those conversations about instruction with teachers. So that's what I would say about that. Now, there are a ton of other ways to do that. In addition to Kim Marshall's very quick little jot a note down. You know, I used to also have post-it notes and leave a little post-it note for teachers saying, hey, I really liked how you did this. You know, that's a great strategy uh, as well to use. In addition to that, schools really should take the time to in create a schedule where the administrator is also having a 20 minute feedback conversation with their teachers, if not on a weekly basis, but on a bi-weekly basis, basis. And this really comes from the work of Paul Bamberg Santoyo and Leverage Leadership, where he talks about creating that schedule where there's so often, and I do like we were talking about, I do a lot of work in schools, and I'd like to say the following never happens, but it happens more than I would like. And that is even me working with an, an assistant principal and trying to get their schedule going where they are meeting with each of their teachers once a week. And the principal keeps interrupting them consistently with things that probably don't need an immediate response. So how can we even expect our assistant principals to get into classrooms on a regular basis if 
the understanding for the need for that is not throughout the entire district administration. Okay. So that's what I would say about that. You also talked about, you know, relationships with families and really having admin model that for teachers. I totally agree. Uh, I can't say any more on that. I would add that teachers should also consider, both teachers and administrators, should consider also additional ways to involve families in the everyday ongoing nature of a school. Because then if that teacher and that parent already have a relationship, they could work out a lot of issues just by having that relationship than having to make a separate phone call. And, and phone calls tend to be always punitive. They never, or rarely do they tend to be a, a teacher calling up saying, hey, I caught your kid doing something good today. So how do we vest parents on school leadership teams? How do we get them involved in crafting our vision and our mission of our school? How can teachers bring family members in as community resources? We talk so much these days about culturally relevant pedagogy. One of the best resources for that are our parents in really talking about community and understanding the importance of their community to their children. So I would add that to what you already said, because what you said in terms of admin modeling and providing exemplars for communicating with parents, I can't add to that. <laughs> yeah. So I hope listeners maybe go back and listen to a little bit of that or, um, in the show notes, we'll pull some of that out, but there are some really, I think, concrete things that you're recommending that that assistant principals or principals can do. And I think that's that's awesome because we always want it to go to that concrete. <clears throat> I actually want to revisit time. I'm going to get on the time soapbox now. I, I We can put that in every podcast. If you're school leader out there, you are going to have time that goes into your early career teachers. Time is going to be with them. <clears throat> now, you can spend that time or you can invest that time. And if you catch them early and you do the things that John has been talking about and engage with them and build those relationships and teach them how to build relationships with others, if you invest that time now, you're going to be growing teachers for your future. But if you don't do that because you don't have time, then you're going to be spending time. <clears throat> I, I've been encouraging people. I have a little tool, uh, 10 ways in 10 days, right? How 10, what you can do, 10 minute activities you can do with your brand new teachers the first two weeks of school. There's nothing magic about them except that you're investing time and starting to build that relationship. That's a hundred minutes, 10 minutes a day for 10 days. That's 100 minutes. Folks, that's three discipline referrals. So you could spend that 100 minutes in the first two weeks. Do you think the value of your presence with them is enough to shave off three discipline referrals from a teacher's classroom over the course of the year? I would think so. So spend it up front or invest it in student discipline issues, invest it talking with angry parents, or invest it in scrambling to find new teacher replacements in exactly. December because yeah. you didn't support the teacher. Exactly. And, and studies show, Frederick, so thank you for bringing this up. One of the number one reasons, I don't understand, in a way, I don't understand why we keep polling teachers about this because the answer is clear. 
when we poll teachers about why they are disillusioned with the profession, yes, people talk about money. But more than money, it's about autonomy, but it's also about support. And how do we offer both, right? So there are things that we just have to do as teachers, as educators. I mean, we're all rowing in the same boat. If we're in a school, we're all rowing in that same boat. So I do, Frederick, do believe that if there are certain literacy practices or reading, to, uh, reading close reading text, textual practices, you should see them across classrooms. So that's why it is important to just segue back on new teachers even participating on PLCs, right? So there is an element where we don't have complete autonomy, but what I like to tell teachers and what I like to tell administrators working with teachers is to emphasize the fact that while yes, there are certain systems, procedures and practices that we all need to use because research shows that this benefits in student achievement and growth, how you do that, how you get students reading more closely as an example, the specific strategies you use within that, the specific way you craft your lesson is your autonomy. So one piece of advice I'd like to give leaders working with all teachers, but particularly me, is when, and again, we talked about this a little bit before, when to release a little more control back to the teacher. And how do we put the priority on the admin supporting the development, the growth and the stability of those systems, procedures and processes, but then support our teachers to be creative in how they they meet certain targets that we've set for our school. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it goes back to something you said earlier when you were talking about uh, the ways that teachers need to have a relationship with kids. You talked about giving kids agency, giving them choice, making it fun, but accountability, and then using data to determine needs. And, and the whole time I was thinking, okay, there's parallels for that of what we should be doing as assistant principals no doubt. with our teachers, right? And and I think the idea of choice, agency, and data actually fit together really well. Um, so I'll play, I have a couple of clips I like to play for my assistant principals when we do um, trainings of a teacher that's really struggling with a number of different things. And I'll, I'll ask the APs, okay, if you're going to work with this teacher, what's the first thing? What's the most important thing that you think they need to, to work on? If I have 10 APs, I get five different answers. Exactly. Right. And, and usually those are different from mine. And the, and, and it's a, but it's a great point. If a teacher is struggling, it probably doesn't matter where they start, especially if they know they're starting. And, and so I think this is one way that we can close part of this circle. When we observe, we're collecting data we're collecting that data to support the teacher's growth. That data is a tool for the teacher. So we can collect data and then go to the teacher and say, hey, let's talk about what's happening. Here's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? What do you want to work on? 
You tell me what you want to work on. And then I'll target, I'll help target the supports. And then we'll follow up with the observations and we'll collect more data that's going to help you continue to make the decisions. And, And that's a way to improve teachers, build trust, build a relationship and give them agency and and choice so exactly you can do yeah. it all exactly now you said before and i do agree that there are stereotypically some things that new teachers need you mentioned classroom management techniques you mentioned knowing the curriculum scope and sequence and relationships so in this podcast we've spoken frederick more about the relationship end of things but yes I mean, we could, I think, assume that maybe our new teachers might need more help with those two other things as well. But you make a very valid point here. That might not be the case with your particular new teachers. So there really is the need for our administrators to be going into classrooms, not only to support the individual teacher, but to figure out what the professional development plan for your teacher should be. So it not only helps your new teacher to be in that classroom, but it helps you as the administrator do your job in, again, establishing those systems, procedures, and processes, particularly around the training program that you're offering your folks, that's really gonna be targeted to their needs and not unrelated to what they need to be working on. So I'm also a big fan now of micro-credentialing programs, by the way, where you know, we're really focusing in on a particular area of teaching. I think we see that more in some of the big urban school districts, maybe than some of the small ones. Uh, But I'm encouraged by that because, you know, that does take it to that individual level that you were mentioning. But so I think it's, I think it's a combination. It's a combination of when you start the new school year as an administrator, realizing that In general terms, there are things that new teachers tend to struggle with. Classroom management, curriculum, and relationships. But you can't leave it there. You have to do your homework. You have to be getting out into those classrooms to see if that is specifically what your new teachers need or whether or not you can be tailoring the PD that you're offering teachers more to their individual needs. And that's even where in a bigger district, something like a micro-credentialing program could come in. Particularly, now this is more for your established teachers, but, you know, and again, this could be another, another podcast in and of itself. How do we keep veteran teachers motivated? And one of the ways we can keep them motivated is by increasing their knowledge in areas they want to increase that knowledge in, such as through a, a leader, a teacher leader micro-credentialing program where then they can go and support our new our new people. Uh, but again, I'm digressing a little bit and I apologize for that. But I guess what I'm saying is I totally agree with you that it's a combo. It's a combo between, you know, certain things we know new teachers need in terms of knowledge and then really tailoring it to who we actually get as our new teachers. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put two points and then, and then we're going to move to wrap up. Um, sure. I think... The, the important thing that you just said there, the problem with thinking of two things that two, two ideas at the same time and they drive each other out, rats. <laughs> oh my, well, what was the, one la- of them. What was the last one thing of them. that you said? So the last thing I said is, if I had to summarize it, the point, the point that I was making 
was it's a combination of, for new teachers, it's a combination of knowing stereotypically what they do need, curriculum, relationship building, and uh, classroom management techniques. But also to, to your point, to the point I'm making, don't, administrators shouldn't leave it there. They need to be getting into those classrooms to see if there are ways to tailor the professional development even further to see what your specific new teachers need. But I'd add all your teachers, what all your teachers need. So I was thinking we were going to edit that out, but you've said it again. And those are points <laughs> that really, no, pe people need to listen to. And so where I was going with that too, I I use specific terminology around observation because one of our challenges, we say observation, and that could mean a number of different things. And I think specifically what you're talking about is the idea of performative observation. And, and the language is important because it's a way for us to signal teachers that they're not the one, they're not on judgment here. So performative evaluations is when I go into your classroom because I'm watching you perform. So performance is for the benefit of the observer. And when I go in, I do performative observations. You're probably not going to get feedback from me. I'm just trying to learn. I just want to see what you're doing. I'm trying to learn what's happening in your classroom and other classrooms. And that's where I'm getting information from me. So as a leadership team, we can be responsible to our teachers. So I think that's, that's an important thing that you just talked about, right? We've got to be doing performative observations. And then the other thing, I think this is the bow tie for me is I have rarely, rarely seen anybody leave a job in which they were growing, that they're, they were becoming more skilled. They saw themselves on a ladder developing and growing and had support around them to do that. People don't leave jobs like that because those kinds of jobs are satisfying. And I think that was that was your final point there that's so critical. Great. All right. So as we wrap up, I have three questions for you. Sure. The first one is, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Sure. Definitely. I think as a coach, one of the challenges is to let others make that final decision. So I'm doing, for example, Frederick, a lot of work with that, with the lead teacher team. So my role isn't or shouldn't be to say, do this this way. My role is to say, here are some strategies you can use to have a meeting. Here are some of the activities that you can be engaging in with new teachers, your other existing teachers, you know, that you could be doing. But so it is my role to give them processes, process, I mean, systems to really align their work. So again, we see student achievement growth across the school, not just in one classroom. The challenge, though, is letting other folks make that decision about what specifically they're going to focus on. So, you know, you could focus on co-teaching strategies, which this is what this team is focusing on. You could focus on questioning. You could focus on assessment strategies. So I think what I'm still working on is not spoon feeding folks, mm -hmm. just like we say not to spoon feed 
students, you know, give processes, give exemplars, but then let the leadership capabilities of others shine. That's beautiful. Thank you. It's a work in progress, Frederick. (laughs) We all are. Because I want to jump in there. I want to jump in and go, just do this. Just do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. But that doesn't work. In the long run, it doesn't work. They'll do it. They'll do it while you're sitting there. But when you're not there, it won't get embedded into the culture of the school. So it really has to be owned by the people you coach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm working on that, too. You know, I have my Apex community, which is our paid community for assistant principals. And we had a webinar last night and I have this schedule all laid out. And and I'm saying this is community. It's all about community. And I know that's the number one thing that you need. But again, I'm so task focused that I think, OK, we're going to hear the content pieces. Exactly. And I have to keep remembering and saying, OK, wait a minute. This is this is what I think we should be focused on. What do you need? You tell me. And. It's, it's constant to, I think, get out of our own heads and really be able it to. It is. Listen. It's hard, especially when you're, you're coming with a certain set of experiences. And even, and especially when you know someone might be going down the wrong path, but letting there be a little struggle. Yeah, that whole idea of productive struggle. Okay. Uh, if listeners could take just one thing away from today's podcast, what would that be? New teachers, like all teachers, need support. And the number one way that administrators can be showing support is to be present in classrooms beyond the formal evaluation. Can you say that one more time? And then we're going to take... Oh, wow. I don't know. No, we're going to take a few seconds. (laughs) This is the message. I'm pounding it over and over. But... Let's just say it again and then take a few seconds. Um, and I want administrators to think about the what, but also the how. So just one more time. Sure. So, and I apologize if it's not using the exact same words. So new teachers, like all teachers, if we are going to support them, the number one thing we need to be doing is being present as administrators in their classrooms, not just formal, not just at formal evaluation time, but consistently. And and I will add something to what I said before. That's how we're going to build our relationships with our teachers. That's how we're going to be able to show them exemplars of best practice. And that's what's going to keep our teachers in our classrooms beyond year five. That's it show up exactly it's not an option <laughs> okay you know, and very very lastly frederick a plug in a plug for teacher to teacher collaboration admin still needs to also show up at teacher to teacher collaboration so if you're going to have a plc be present maybe not all the time but once a week or have different administrators present on each PLC committee, not to run it, but to show that they actually value that practice. Yeah. I I have an assistant principal uh, who polled her, they have several new teachers and they brought the first and second year teachers together and just sat with them after school for an hour and had the conversation and just 
facilitated, but very loosely to just listen and to build that community between the teachers and with the administrator as well. And it was just beautifully done. She was so excited when she got back from that. Right. Well, we didn't even really talk about that too much, but what additional contact points are you establishing for your new folks? Because yeah. I do think that's important as well. Yeah, there is so much ground we have not covered. It, it's, it's staggering. <laughs> it's a huge it, topic. It is huge. And the the thing I keep, I am heartened by, like none of this, none of this is rocket science. There is a lot of challenging stuff that we do around coaching and things, but all of the things that we're talking about really are just showing up and being intentional, asking good questions and listening, but doing it in different ways that connect different people. John, this has been awesome. Um, we got to come back. We've got to do it again. We've got about 10 more things to tear into. So uh, just thanks so much for coming on the show today. And can you tell listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, where they can connect with you and some of the work that you're doing? Sure. So as I mentioned before, I am an educational consultant. So that generally means I go in and provide some of that one-on-one support in classrooms that we mentioned to teachers. I also do leadership coaching with uh, school leaders who do want to get those systems and processes in place across classrooms. Doing that right now, mostly in the New York, New Jersey area, but I do work nationally and sometimes when I'm lucky internationally. Uh, and it's interesting to see what problems and issues are similar and different in different localities. And in terms of folks connecting with me, as you mentioned before, I'm posting on LinkedIn all the time. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm also really excited, Frederick, because I just developed some online courses through Teachable that will be particularly useful, I think, for new teachers, because the base courses really talk about the things that new teachers need to be cognizant about. And then as I continue to develop my online courses, there'll be additional courses that go deeper into issues such as SEL, which is already there actually, or uh, differentiation or questioning and discussion techniques. So some of those courses are there as well. Uh, There'll be more in time, but uh, main place to reach out to me, definitely LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and rate it. That really helps people find it. We are the... Well, there are two now assistant principal podcasts, but we're the only one that's a weekly show. So liking and rating it really make it easier for people to find it. We're Thanks, Frederick. Yeah, we're doing a lot with um, new, new teacher support right now. So take a look at previous podcast episodes, check out our new micro journal, Quadrant 2. You can find links to all of that in the show notes or on my website at frederickbuskey.com backslash the assistant principal. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers.